want to begin today by inviting you into a profound theological debate. Now, some of you may get kind of excited, like, oh, debate, let's argue. Others of you are like, I don't want to do that. It's Sunday. Can't we all just get along? Listen, everybody just relax. We're going to have this debate, but before we do that, we're going to kind of ease into the profound theological debate with another debate. This debate is a, is a little is a little more fun, if you will. This debate goes to the NBA. I'm talking about professional basketball. And the question is this. Who in the NBA, in the history of the National Basketball Association, who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time to ever lace up sneakers and play the game? Now, I've done a little pre-survey, unscientific sampling, and I've noticed that there are, there are a number of names that may be in the discussion, but by and large, the conversation amongst reasonable people really comes down to two names, two names that really are vying for the title of GOAT, the greatest of all time. The first name is Michael Jordan. Some of you may remember Air Jordan. Okay, awesome. I love your passion about something that matters so much. <laughs> the second alternative is, of course, somebody playing right now. I'm talking about the king, LeBron James. LeBron. Now, here's what's really interesting about my unscientific survey is where you fall in this debate, Michael versus LeBron largely falls along generational fault lines. Those who are born, let's say, before 1990, 95, largely think Michael is the greatest of all time. Those who are born after that time frame, almost universally, not entirely, but almost universally, will tell you that LeBron is the greatest. Are you kidding me? The man is a freight train in sneakers. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. And it's been fascinating to go through this discussion and this debate. And obviously, the NBA GOAT is not a theological question. No matter how passionately you hold your opinion, how much time you've invested in it, or how long you've held on hold for sports radio talk shows, is this is not literally a life and death issue. But what is, in fact, a theological debate is the following question. And that is, not what is the goat, but what is the gloat? What is the gloat? The greatest legacy of all time. What is the greatest legacy of your life? What would be the greatest legacy of my life? When you start to think about how maybe they'll talk about you at your funeral or your memorial service, how, how you will be remembered, maybe in your family or your community, or, or maybe you're a world changer and, and people know your name around the world. What is the greatest legacy of all time? Now, some people think, man, when, when I pass away, many, 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 many years from now, I'm gonna leave my family just a pile of money. I, I'm gonna leave squillions of dollars to my kids, to charity. I'm gonna build hospitals, universities. It's, just, it's gonna be about, and, that, and listen, if you're able to do that, 
that's cool as far as it goes. I get it. That's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not being judgmental. I'm not, not raising up a straw man so I can knock him down. But that's what some people think about legacy. You may be thinking the greatest legacy that I could give my children would be to learn how to work hard or, or maybe how to marry well so that they don't completely train wreck their lives. And those things really, really, I mean, if you don't do anything else as a parent, teach your children how to marry well. Would somebody help me preach? Think about it. So anyway, well, if, if my kids will work hard and get good grades, then, then that'll be their job and then get into the right college, they can get a good job and then they'll have a happy life. All of those things are fine as far as they go. I wanna to suggest to you to kind of pull up a little bit, to kind of pull out of the day-to-day -day muck and the mire and, and look a little bit broader. And I wanna to suggest to you that the gloat, the greatest legacy of all time for your life or for my life, the greatest legacy of all time is the degree to which our words and our actions feed the fire of faith in other people. That's really the greatest legacy you will ever leave because no matter how much money you make, how much money you leave, no matter what you teach your children by way of manners, work ethic, how to marry, when it's all said and done, the only thing that will carry people eternally forever, the only thing that equips our children that equips our friends and those that we lead and influence, the only thing that ultimately prepares them for anything is a growing personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When you help people secure their eternity and alter the trajectory of their lives day to day, that is the gloat. That is the greatest legacy of all time. Now, as a church family, for the last few weeks, we've been kind of neck deep in this teaching series, Legacy. And we've been looking at the legacy of Jesus, particularly right after Easter. And we've seen that the legacy of Christ is his church, the commissioned body of Christ. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he spent 40 more days here on earth before returning to heaven. But before returning to heaven, he commissioned the church. He said, you are to be the hands and feet. You're to be the voice of Christ in this lost and broken world. Go and make disciples. Go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. We would translate that and say we will be his witnesses in Austin, in Texas, the United States, and then even to the ends of the earth. This is the legacy of Jesus Christ that we have been commissioned with. Actually, it's the legacy that we have been delegated by Jesus. The word delegation, we, th we think about that in terms of leadership and work and family, delegation of work and power. It, it gives us the same word that gives us legacy. And so this is who we're called to be. And, and as we bring this series to a conclusion this weekend, we're going to find this legacy of Christ, this, this church that we saw in Acts chapter one, commissioned by Jesus, where we saw the Holy Spirit that he promised came and was delivered to that room of 120 people. 
That 120 people then went out into the streets of Jerusalem and literally shook the world. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. Peter, who only weeks before had denied even knowing Jesus, using an oath, profanity, now proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. 3,000 people that day committed their lives to Christ and were baptized. The church erupted in exponential growth. And as you might expect, because they were fallen people pointing other fallen people to Christ, there were some growing pains. We had Ananias and Sapphira. We had arguments between the, the Greek believers and the Hebrew believers about how their widows were being treated. There was a council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 to decide just how Jewish does a Christian have to be. On and on and on it went. But this is the legacy that you and I, as followers of Christ, are commissioned to carry out. And what's interesting is you trace the narrative in the book of Acts, the last third of the book, the last third of the book tells the story of the end of Paul's life. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us when or where or how Paul died, but we have from very reliable church historical sources the fact that Paul was martyred in Rome, probably under the reign of Nero in about 68 AD. But before he got to Rome, he had concluded his third missionary journey. He was returning to Jerusalem, the, the epicenter of this tectonic shift that was going on. And on his way back to Jerusalem, he stopped in a town there in the Mediterranean in Turkey, and he summoned the Ephesian church elders. He wasn't in Ephesus. He was in another town, Miletus. But he summoned the Ephesian church leaders together, and he said, I, I want to share with you what I hope and I pray our legacy, my legacy personally, but the legacy you will continue and carry on. And in Acts chapter number 20, Paul expresses his, his desire and his prayer for, for this legacy. This is what he says. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21 and following, it says, now I have had one message, one thing for Jews and Greeks alike, and that is the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The wonderful grace of God. I want you to think about that word wonderful for just a hot second. Think about, go with me back in your, in your memory banks, maybe to when you were a kid, let's say on Christmas morning. Do you ever, do you, do you remember like, do you have a memory of a specific Christmas morning where you walked in and you opened a present or maybe Santa had left a present under the tree and you were just like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You, you remember, I think as adults, sometimes we, we worry too much about being cool and we lose that sense of wonder. I, I remember as a kid, I remember opening up a gift that my mom and dad had gotten from a friend of ours. We were, I lived in Houston, and a friend of ours lived in Dallas, and he got me an autographed picture of Roger Staubach for Christmas. 
And I was just like, <sighs> and, and it said, he even said, he signed it to Mac, best wishes, Roger Staubach. And, and as a child in Houston, I was like, he, he, he knows me. <laughs> Roger, Roger knows me. That, that sense of wonder, full of wonder. That's what Paul says the grace of God ought to stir up in us. When, when you think about the extravagance of God's grace, when you think about the fact that God chose to give his only son to die on the cross in your place and in my place, that he took on himself my sin, my shame, and he paid the price, he paid the penalty for my sin, for your sin, and he died so that we don't have to. That, that he died because the wages of sin is always death. And then he did what we couldn't have done for ourselves and he rose from the dead with the promise of new life so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. The, the eternal life Yes, when we die, but also beginning right here and right now. We get, to, we get to taste a little sliver of it here in this world. That is wonderful. That is amazing grace. And Paul says, if nothing else comes from my life, it'll have been worth it because I will finish the task to which I have been called. He said, this is what I hope my legacy is. And so for you and me, as we wrap up this, this examination, this, this look that we've been having at the book of Acts and the historical narrative of the church being born, the church as imperfect as it was and as it is, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church is what he gave himself up for. And he calls us to be a part of it. We get to collaborate with him. <clears throat> That is wonderful. It's amazing. So is that going to be your gloat? Is that going to be my gloat? The greatest legacy of all time of my life, of your life, that we're feeding the fire of faith through our words and our actions in other people's lives? And so what I want to do today is just kind of wrap up very practically because I think we, we could all kind of go, yeah, that, that's it. That, I want to be like Paul. I want to do that. Yeah. And by the time we get to our car, we'd be asking, how do you do that? What does that look like Monday through Saturday? And so I want us to just get painfully practical today. We're, we're going to just kind of, we're going to just break it down. And we're going to use a passage of scripture that Paul would have been intimately familiar with. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is not one of your more trafficked books of the Bible. Very rarely does somebody say, you know what? I want to know more about the Bible. I'm going to Deuteronomy. That just does not happen very often. But Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The fifth book of the, what's referred to as the Pentateuch. The books of Moses. The law, if you will. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6... God is explaining to the nation of Israel, his chosen people, how to live in relationship, in covenant relationship with himself. And he's laying out for them these laws that are all about pointing them toward the Messiah who will come, who has been promised already. 
But in Deuteronomy chapter six, he says something to parents in particular to think about. He says, of all of the jobs that you do as a parent, whatever, you, whatever legacy you leave your children as parents, make sure that you do this. Now, before we read this passage, you don't have to be a parent biologically or legally for this to be relevant. I want you to read Deuteronomy chapter six through the lens of the New Testament gospel, the good news of Christ. I want you to read this and to understand that even though you may not be a parent, physically or biologically, as a follower of Christ, you are absolutely called and commissioned to be a spiritual parent to someone somewhere along the way. Look at what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter number six. We're gonna look at verses five through seven. He says to Israel and to us, now, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Remember, Jesus said that's the greatest command. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. This is what I want you to do. I want you to make every part of life a teachable moment where you, mom and dad, where you, follower of Christ, by your words and your actions are feeding the fire of faith in other people's lives. That is to be the greatest legacy of all time, of every Christ follower's life. Now again, how do you do that? So we're gonna make this incredibly practical. I want you to think of the word gloat. We've already said this is the greatest legacy of all time. Think about gloat, G-L-O-A-T, all right? And we're gonna make this a little interactive. I, I, every now and then, I like to kind of have a little help when I preach. So this is the 11 o'clock service. You all had plenty of time to be properly caffeinated. You probably already had a little bite to eat this morning, so I, I want everybody to kind of help a brother out, okay? So we're gonna make this interactive. We'll do G-L-O-A-T, and we're gonna start with the G. So give me a G. G. Well done. Give God everything. Give God everything. This is where it begins. And you'll notice as we go through this practicum, as we go through this protocol of legacy giving, the vast majority of it is gonna be an inside-out process. It's gonna be what we do personally in our relationship with Christ in our motives, wants, and desires before we ever see it play out in other people's lives. G, give God everything. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six is an incredible passage of scripture to memorize and make a part of the spiritual makeup of your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust on the Lord Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own, on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Give God everything. Every part of your life is better when you follow God. That, I'm just gonna tell you the truth of the matter. Now, I, I, listen, I'm not telling you that I've done this a thousand percent. 
I'm very much a work in progress. And there's still things that I, when I think about giving God everything, but I have been following Christ long enough and I'm certainly old enough to be able to tell you by experience, whenever I do choose to trust in the Lord with all my heart, everything gets better. Everything gets better. Just give God everything. And there's something so beautifully simplifying about this. I'm curious this morning, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. How many of us feel like life in general is complicated and stressful? If that's you, then just hold your hand up for a second. Okay, wait, if you will, do me a favor. Keep holding your hands up. Keep holding your hands up. Now, look around the room. Look around the room. Seriously, look at everybody else's hands up in here. Everybody's hands are not up is a liar, so don't worry about them. But everybody else, we're, you know what? That is so helpful to me. I am so encouraged by your stress. <laughs> because it tells me I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. That, that's part of the miracle and mystery of the church. We, we struggle through this together. But when I give God everything, it's just simpler. It's so much more complicated to try to pick and choose what I'm gonna do and what I'm gonna let God do. If I just surrender everything to him, everything gets better. Give God everything, that's G. L, give me an L. L. Love God, his house, and his word. Love God, his house, and his word. What does it say in Deuteronomy? Love God with everything you have. Love God with everything you have. Love his house. His house, by the way, is the church. It's not the building. You know that. That's why First Peter says that we are being built up into a holy temple. Each of us is a stone in this temple, fitting together to serve the purposes of God in this world. And so we, we teach each other to love the house to love what we get from one another, to love what we can give to one another, to love how God uses your personality against my, not against my personality, but over and against, to use our gifts and our talents working together supernaturally in a, in a way that only God could do. So, so love God with everything that you've got. Love his house. Also love his word. The Bible I'm just gonna tell you, the Bible's got some good stuff in it. You would do well to love the word of God. As a matter of fact, we're wrapping up this series on Acts today, but as a church, this fall, all of our Bible studies are gonna study the book of Acts through verse by verse. It's gonna be an incredible study. And we always talk about the fact that we don't wanna just study the Bible, Yes, we want to know what it says, but we want to study it for the purposes of internalizing it, of spiritually metabolizing the word of God so that it becomes a part of the fiber of who we are as we live out this, this thing called faith. So give God everything. Love God, his house and his word. And then, oh, give me an oh. oh. Obey scripture. Just obey scripture. If the Bible says it, it is real and true. It's the best way to do life, period. Written 
by the one who gave us life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. So everything from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation is inspired by the Spirit of God. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training the man or woman of God for works of righteousness. It's there. This is the most accurate, truthful description of life in the world. Nothing else even comes close. And you say, well, Mac, you're, you're already a Christian. You're biased. Yeah, I'm biased. Doesn't mean I'm wrong because I didn't make this up. This is the word of God. And just while we're on the subject of obeying scripture, because God is the author of everything, of all reality, when he gives us the Bible, that's an act of love and of grace. And so when you think about sin, this, this is just a new way to think about it that I came across recently, and I can't remember who the author is, or I would give him credit. It's not me. I wish it were. But it says you can't go against the grain of reality and expect not to get splinters. You can't go against the grain of reality and expect to not get splinters. See, God knows how he created us. He, know how he's created, he knows how he's created the world. So just obey scripture. I remember when Julie and I were dating, we had been friends for six or seven years before we ever went out romantically. And so when we did finally start dating, I knew fairly quickly that I was supposed to marry her, like, like vividly remember this. So we weren't necessarily engaged, but we were pretty much engaged to be engaged. Does that make sense? It was great. It worked. So far, it's working out great. It's only been 30 years. So we made a commitment to God and to each other that we were going to wait until we were married to enjoy marital relations because that's what the Bible says. But a funny thing happened on the way to the altar. The longer we were engaged, the tougher it became to keep that commitment. I remember just praying, God, show me a loophole. <laughs> I remember going through the Bible. Anybody else ever read the Bible looking for loopholes? Now, I will tell you this. By the grace of God, Julie and I were able to keep that commitment and, we were, and God has blessed that in ways we weren't even smart enough to ask for. It, it was difficult. There were a lot of times I had to say, Julie, no. <laughs> I love that joke. <laughs> but can I tell you something? In all seriousness, I've been doing this for a minute Every time I trust God and every time I obey scripture, everything gets better. Amen. I'm just telling you, it all gets better. So obey scripture. G-L-O. Everybody, give me an A. a. Add God to your everyday life. Add God to your everyday life. You don't have to necessarily change what you're doing right now. Just Pivot the why you're doing it. Add God to your everyday life. Let's say hypothetically, you have a challenging child. I'm just throwing out a, a, a for instance. 
And, and this child just pushes every button you have. You, you love them unconditionally. You would die for them. But this child is absolutely on your last nerve. Add God. God, give me the wisdom to deal with this gift that you've given me. You don't have to feel it to acknowledge it. God, give me the patience to, to not say what I'm feeling or thinking right now to this gift that you've given me. And watch when you add God how the gift becomes the gift. And you realize, I'm just charged with stewarding this gift for a few years. And I've only got one shot at this. I need God. I need that wisdom. I need that strength. I need that courage. Add God to everything that you do. Have you noticed we haven't even talked about what you've said to anybody else yet? It's inside out. But that brings us to T. Give me a T. T. Teach others about God relationally. Teach others about God relationally. Jesus said in Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to think about the best teacher or coach you ever had. Just, just bring them to the front of your brain. It, you may have to have a little debate in your mind real quick, but just the best teacher or coach you ever had. Now, obviously, I, I don't know who you're thinking about, but I bet you I know one thing about them. I bet they were hard on you. I bet, they, I bet they pushed you. They challenged you. I remember Coach Lee Tynes told me in 10th grade, Richard, if I'm not yelling at you, that's when you need to worry. I never had to worry. <laughs> but you know the best teachers that you have, the best coaches, the best mentors, the best disciplers that have ever been in your life are people who pushed you. And the reason you, they pushed you is because you let them push you because you trusted them. They had a relational component to their leadership, to their mentorship, to their discipleship. Jesus said, teach them to obey. Come alongside them, show them what it looks like. I think about grown men in our church who get on the floor and hold babies on Sunday morning. I mean, I'm talking about guys who, who push hard during the week. But they, they humble themselves and they get on the floor with children to create an environment where those kids don't understand John 3.16 or the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. They just, they just know they want to be here on Sunday mornings. I think about the women I think about the women who came alongside my daughter, the men who came alongside my son in this church 
and partnered with Julie and me to, to show them what it looked like to be a follower of Christ in high school and in college. Because mom and dad, I mean, we were old. But there were high school young women when they were in middle school, there were college kids when they were in high school, there were young adults when they were in college that they could look at and they could say, they're not perfect, but they're doing it. That's who I want to be. That's where I want to be. Because they were teaching them relationally what it looked like to be a follower of Christ. That is the greatest legacy of all time that you will ever have. That's the gloat. That's what you invest your life in. Now, I, I know, I, I know this as sure as I'm standing here. Some, some people in the room or watching online, you've been uncomfortable this whole sermon. You're like, I just don't like gloat. I don't, I don't want to brag. I mean, I'm awesome, but I'm not going to brag about it. And you're right. That's good, by the way. But can I just give you the freedom? Actually, not me. I'm going to show you who gives you the freedom to actually brag about something, to actually gloat. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6. He said, as for me, may I never boast or gloat about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has also been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. I consider my life nothing until I fulfill the calling of Jesus Christ on my life. That's the legacy I'm after. That's who I am and that's what God has called us to be as a church. So whose fire are you feeding? Whose fire are you feeding to get to know God better? That's what this is all about. That, that transcends mask or no mask. Summer or school year, male or female, Jew or Greek. This is the gloat, the greatest legacy of all time. And, and here's the beautiful thing about this. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. From the youngest to the old of us, by virtue of the fact that we are still breathing God wants to use us to feed the fire of faith in Christ and other people's lives. So let's go. Let's go. What are we doing? We're going to teach our kids to make good grades so they get rich. We're, we're going to make idols out of our children's happiness or success. We're going to get bent out of shape about where we live or what car we drive. What are we doing? What are we doing? Jesus Christ died so that you could live and tell other people about it. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, if you're here today and you've never taken hold of that promise, Man, as a church family, we want to give you the opportunity to do just that, to pray. Right where you are, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment. 
just in your own words, pray something like this, just silently from your heart to God's, just say, Jesus, I need you. I admit, I confess my sin to you in order to claim and receive your forgiveness. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I'll give you mine and I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I wanna ask you to remain with your heads bowed for just a moment. Because as a church, we wanna help with what comes next. This is a beginning for you. It's, it's a beginning that's the most important moment of your life. There's nothing more important to us as a church family than this moment in your life and helping with what comes next. So the first thing I wanna ask you to do is our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it in the air for a moment. If you're watching online, you can just type in the comments there, my hand's up. And all that is is a, is a physical signal of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And as a church, we, we honor that and we celebrate that with you. And you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. 